Contrology, the Pilates method, the method, the work. However you want to describe it, it is the brainchild of German creator and inventor, Joe Pilates. Hello everyone, I'm Darian Gold. Thanks so much for joining us on All Things Pilates. many of you have had this experience. You've been sitting for a while and you feel fine, but when you stand up, your low back and hips feel very tight. If so, that could mean your psoas muscle is too contracted and pulling on your spine. If you were to look up the definition of the psoas, you would find that this long muscle is located in the lower lumbar region and extends through the pelvis to the thigh bone. It connects the upper body and the lower body. Liz Cott, our guest today, knows more about the psoas muscle than just about anyone in the world. And according to Liz, the psoas is much more than our deepest spinal muscle. She says that this biointelligent tissue expresses one's integrity on every level and may be perceived as the guardian of the hara commonly referred to as the moving center. It is the supreme source of inner power. I was lucky enough to experience some of this inner power in 2004 when I met Liz at one of her SOAS workshops in Santa Monica. I remember walking to my car afterwards and my legs felt so jiggly as if I was a puppet on a string and that string had been cut. I also felt spacey as if my very existence had been exercised, and even driving home felt different. Liz is the creator of Core Awareness, an educational website dedicated to understanding the psoas through enhanced somatic awareness. She's had 45 years of experience, and her unique approach to movement has garnered a large following both nationally and internationally. She's authored a number of books that focus on kinesthetic intelligence and somatic awareness for developing our human potential. Liz is ever evolving, and as a conceptual artist, she explores the deep sensory system and the wild wisdom of the psoas. Stalking wild psoas is her passion, and changing the language of body is her mission. Welcome to the show, Liz Koch. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Finally, we are together. Liz, what is it about the psoas that captured your heart? It was really, I'm a conceptual artist, and I was teaching at the Boston Museum School of Fine Arts. And actually, it was... Uh, discovering that movement changes our perception that led me in that path. And at the time I met a man named Bob Cooley, who was from the dance background, and he was exploring injuries, trying to figure out why injuries happen. And he had tracked it back to the core, that when we really have an interruption in our ankle or a knee or a twist, you know, whatever it is, uh, it's actually stemming because all movement begins in the center of your being. So he was at that moment in time, fascinated with the psoas. He went on to do other things with that, but 
with his awareness and his work, but I um, entered that field. And SOAS became very important to unraveling some of the mysteries of LISP, uh, low back pain, fear responses, things like that. So I began to explore it and it just had a life of its own. And your aha moment when you were working the psoas, was there one place in the body that you didn't know had ease? And then that area of your body opened up and you, you recognized even more that the psoas was the root? Well, it's more that I kind of courted the psoas, I would say. I began to recognize that this tissue uh, was what I call now a messenger of the midline that it's actually not a muscle. Um, it's put in that uh, box because of uh, anatomy, but it really it's, it's so much more. And now we know in science, it's part of what's called the neuro core. So it's part of your sympathetic response. It's part of your autonomic nervous system, but it's also part of your connective tissue. So in deep in the very center of your being, is a spinal cord, a psoas, a kidney, and two kidneys, and two adrenals. So I discovered a lot more about it, and I was following an intuitive feeling of psoas as I got to know it, and then I would look for intellectual information about psoas, and a lot of it didn't, like it's a hip flexor or it's a stabilizer, it didn't actually match up. So I had to look for a different paradigm. Oh, wow, that's So my aha moment was when I found embryology because embryology was like, oh, this is what I'm sensing. Can you say more about that? Sure. Um, the paradigms are different. When you're studying uh, cadavers, you're studying dead tissue and you're... Uh, you're using reductionist thinking. You're taking something apart, saying, if I can take it apart and name all these pieces, I'll know what it is. Embryology is about process. It's about life unfolding. And the embryo is still within us. We're still unfolding. So it's a natural process. What would you say then to those who are studying cadavers because they're not getting the right necessarily the right messages or the right information if the tissue is dead? Well, you know, we, we started the, the history of, of studying cadavers goes back, you know, 500 years and more. And that's part of reductionist thinking, which is the concept, let's take something apart. That's science. Let's take it apart. We'll figure out, figure it out. The problem is that they were looking at dry cadavers as well. So now in the anatomy world, people like Gil Headley are studying fluid cadavers and studying connective tissue. And all of a sudden, psoas makes sense from a different, very different perspective. So changing the paradigm, I think, is part of um, growing and learning is to recognize there's different ways of perceiving. And when we shift it, um, we can really understand psoas in its potency. We can't in the anatomical world. Agre agreed. And thank you for clarifying. But can we stay in the anatomical environment for one, one moment? And when the psoas muscle is referred to as the psoas major, there is a minor as well. And is it true that some people don't have a psoas minor? 
Well, I think the best way to understand this, because I'm um, I, I'm not in the the uh, I'm not in anatomy, and I'm you know I'm not trained in anatomy, and I'm not trained in in therapy, but I will say that psoas is an evolving tissue. So a, a, a medical text was put out in about, I don't know, 1960s. The author was Michelli and the title of it was the psoas muscle. And uh, he, as a physician, was studying it. And it was given to me as a gift by, by Cooley. And, um, and in it, he talked about the minor and major. And he spoke to the fact that in primates, because they are uh, utilized their core in more of a flexed position, um, but that that it was engaged that way and we think of it that way. But as the human being began to stand up, the, the tissue that we call psoas minor, which begins up at approximately T12, but some people it grows out of um, the lumbar spine, grows into the pelvis uh, rather than bypass it. So it maintains more of that flexed position. What that really means though, I wanna be really clear, is again, that's an intellectual paradigm in which you don't understand, or you know, it, it's hard to understand that it's not where your psoas is, because I've also worked with people of psoas is all kinds of places, psoas that are cut in half <laughs> and psoas that have been removed. So, so I wanna say it's not, it, it's not the anatomy, it's the health and vitality of your psoas. The psoas is filet mignon. In any cut of meat we eat in an animal that we consider the tenderloin and the most delicious, succulent, non-directional fiber meat, that's psoas. So it's global. And for most people, I have not found a distinction between whether they do or don't have a minor or not. Mm -hmm. but yes, it's evolving. We're, we're losing it. That's fascinating too, because perhaps in a couple of generations, there won't even be, that won't even be part of the anatomy chart at all then. That's right. Yeah. If you're looking at other at cadavers, you, you know, what you're looking at is how they lived their life. That's what you see. So somebody can be a large person and have a very dry shrunk psoas and somebody can be petite and, and have a plump psoas. And the reality is psoas is about the size of your fist. It's very, very large tissue, but it's orbital, it's global. And to me, it's a messenger. It's better to be thought of as an organ of perception than a muscle to engage. And isolated as just a muscle mm -hmm. because it has this influence over the entire being. Yes. It does have a relationship though with the diaphragm. It does, it grows up underneath the diaphragm and the diaphragm emerges up out of the front of the spine in a kind of mushrooming. Uh, I think of a lot, the diaphragm when it's healthy, it's kind of like a, um, an aquatic being. You know, it, it has like a jellyfish movement to it. And in re response, the psoas when it's succulent and juicy and responsive is more of like a pendulum and together they really do through walking when you uh, create a, a beautiful internal massage. I wonder if Joe Pilates 
was thinking about that, even even though that he didn't really understand the anatomy the way we understand today. But he always talked about this internal shower, this internal massage happening with the work. And maybe mm. he was onto that path, even though he couldn't articulate it. Absolutely. And I, I think if, you know, Joseph Pilates was alive today, he'd be talking about connective tissue. I agree. The moving center is referred to as the Hara, which I never heard of until I read your information on your website. And this is Hara a Japanese term? Yes. yes and there's a book that was um, translated um, called The Hara that I read early in my explorations. And it really spoke to me because it spoke about expression. It spoke about how we carry ourselves through life and, um, and when we're grounded in our bones, when we feel really landed in ourselves on the earth, then um, we're really living from that moving center. And the moving center can be understood as, as all the, the planes of gravity, how they move through and shape us. And so it's here in our belly core, you know, it's also called the Buddha belly or, or the Tandien. Um, it has different names in different cultures, but the ancestral lineage of Hara is a Japanese understanding of being present in the moment and present on the earth. And that would mean though, to be able to have the bones dropped and, and being full, full in yourself and walking through your world confidently, that must mean then that your psoas is supple and juicy. Absolutely. Because basically when someone has a tight psoas, as you described in the beginning, what, what is actually happening is not tissue that needs stretching or uh, releasing, it's actually drying, it's being misused overused, maybe even abused. And so we're really looking at reading the messenger of the midline as being one, people don't live in their bones. They don't have a sense of their proprioceptive connection to earth. Uh, they're losing that. And so they're kind of drifting, like you said, almost like a puppet, you know, moving through space, not, not grounded like a wild animal. So as animal body. Why is that, Liz? Why, why? Are people losing that connection? Um, birth trauma um, are, you know, we've usurped the, the, the mother-baby bond. Um, you know, we, mothers are delivered rather than uh, babies being caught. Um, we don't live on the earth. We live in apartment buildings and houses and way up above the earth. It's only been, you know, a few generations that, uh, Indigenous cultures moved from, uh, you know, homes that were circles to homes that were square. We, we aren't connected to the earth. We don't recognize her as our, you know, the kinship of earth and all living beings. And that's pretty uh, obvious in our ecological devastation. So that shows up in our bodies. It shows up in the lack of connection. Think of, think of a baby who never is, who is held in plastic and moved from thing to thing 
they don't have any connection to earth. That's, that's not how humans used to arrive here. They used to arrive here and, and land. And you know, some people don't put their babies on the floor. They don't even feel a hard surface. So there, there's a lack of kinesthetic experience. Sensory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we're finding that babies are being born with more and more uh, disruption in their sensory system because of the overstabilization of the abdominal muscles. Babies aren't able to grow and mothers aren't able to shapeshift. How would you, if you were given this role to change the entire paradigm on the planet, how would you go about, besides educating doctors perhaps and midwives, how you actually birth the, the child, and you can talk about your birth savvy book, but how would you go about educating and changing the paradigm so that we can be more connected to the earth and respectful of the earth and and then respectful of our own bodies? Well, I, I think one of the things to recognize is that we're under the spell of a colonization, which is a top-down model. And it's part of patriarchy and part of uh, the, our political systems and part of this kind of um, not valuing the feminine. And indigenous cultures are, are more balanced, they're centered, they're grounded. And whether we you know, think we want to live as they do, they lived here on the earth for thousands of years without destroying it. So we see what Western culture has done and we see that it's, the devastation has happened in a very short time. So I, I think that it begins with empowerment, but I don't think it's an individual you know, yes, women need to recognize that they've been giving birth for literally millions of years and that knowledge is within them. There, but that has been taken away from them. So even if a woman feels that she really wants to be there and show up and have this relationship with her newborn infant and the whole process of birth, the hospital setting is an industrialized complex. It's, it's, you know, you're basically on assembly line. So we've, 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 I guess the important thing to understand is all of this top down individuates and separates the human being from all the rest of life. It creates a superiority in which we are actually hungry for something more. So one of the ways for people to now, uh, in wherever they are, is to return to nature, to you know, put your belly to the ground, to put your back to a tree, you know. Um, Take your shoes off and walk in the mud and, you know, feel the sand and, you know, sit by a river and begin to find relationship with ground. That's all so as once. A healthy so as is about landing, what I call landing and locating. So in Stalking Wild So As, I talk about the concept of, think of, think of so as his animal body. It, you know, if the animal shows up and it, it's disoriented and it doesn't know where it is, it's going to be food for someone else. It's not going to survive. So as is all about survival. So if we're disoriented, we're disassociated, we're, you know, overwhelmed and, and overstimulated, overstimulated. Exactly. We're not going to find ground and we are going to have these tension patterns that we feel if we could just release that thing, you know, it'd be over, but it's not. It's, a, it's about metabolizing our experiences and literally getting in our kinesthetic sensory system and feeling 
that we don't stand, we walk, we don't stand on our feet. We stand on the earth. Oh, that's a great tagline. You should use that. Do you use that? I love that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's mine. I think oh, it's I love it. Oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> but Liz, I bet you that is why, even if it's unconscious, that yoga retreats and Pilates retreats exist because people just intuitively want to feel their body connected to nature. Yes, I think you're, I think you're right. And I think people are searching for something. But, um, you know, it, it's you can do some th- very simple things every day. And, and Such as? Um, you know, take, take your shoes off. You know, feet, feet are meant to touch things. They're, they're sensory system, just like the hands are, you know? So if we want to feel ground, sometimes our shoe is disrupting that connection. You know, if you put a, a heavy shoe on a little toddler, they'll use their knees to walk. They won't use their pendulum of the psoas to fall. So sometimes we have to kind of take our shoes off and massage our feet and work with our feet and start connecting to ground and texture and and landing bone tapping i like to bone tap up and down the femur bone and down into the lower leg to literally feel the, the vibration, vibration. Or... yeah that's the kind of stuff that actually what it does to the nervous system it that's what i'm saying it it, it allows as so as is so intimate with the primal nervous system you know that fight or flight response that fear response that freeze all of those responses are important. We want to have those, but we don't want them out all, all day long. And that's a lack of knowing where we are. Like literally, we don't know where we are in space and time. It happens in the head too. That, that contracts the psoas or holds it kind of uh, in a freeze mode when we're on the screen, when we're looking down at our phone all the time, where our head is always dropped because proprioception is what psoas is talking about, especially skeletal proprioception, which is our relationship with showing up here on earth. And it takes me back to my training as a gymnast, as a dancer and Pilates. I always heard from my teachers, drop your bones and lift your muscles. I don't think they were sophisticated enough to explain how this muscle is so integral to finding the freedom in the bones. And so now in the Pilates world, as I think we've talked about this before, but there's just so much focus on stabilizing and controlling. And if you're doing too much of either, do you think that the psoas, you're cheating the psoas, basically, you're not letting the psoas express its job in helping the bones and muscles do what they are supposed to be doing. Does that sound, does that sound right? Because I know in a, a lot in the Pilates work, there's, there's a lot of holding, a lot of engaging, a lot of squeezing, but sometimes it's too much. And the teacher has to be sensitive enough to help the student understand at what point can you find release so then there's breath in the body? I'm just trying to figure out how, how to incorporate all of this depth and understanding of the power of the psoas in an environment that is so much about control and stabilization. Right. 
My work is about awareness. So as we become, and one of the things that Pilates is offering people right now um, is a kind of an awareness towards uh, where movement comes from, like, like the initiation of a movement or the articulation of a joint. So there's value there. The overstabilization is one of the problems with psoas that makes it dry out. Um, when you use psoas and you can't tell the different layers of tissue, so you can't tell what psoas versus what is abdominals, for example, then you use it all as one mass. And that's that overstabilization of core. But it's also an idealized and particularly an idealized white body that you're replicating, which is a lack of expression in the core. Did you say so, white? W-H-I-T-E? Yes, I did. Yes. Oh no, that what does that mean? Superior white body, absolutely. And it's emulated in dance, it's emulated in fitness, oh. it's emulated in Pilates and yoga. And so what we're looking at is a spinal column in which you're creating density. That's a, that's a mechanistic model of body. If you understand you're a living organism, you're kind of more like a living river as a spine. In embryology, all life comes from that center axis. So you don't want to overstabilize, you want to express, you want to unfold, you want to move, you want to um, feel deeply. And so then you're not looking just for uh, a right looking body an idealized kind of look. You're not sculpting the body. You're actually allowing the organism to have expression. So psoas is part of those primal expressions of fetal curl, uh, which is protection and warding off, which is arcing and getting bigger and, and just standing your ground. You know, they're expressive. And we um, lose that if we overstabilize. So it's a combination. It's the ability to articulate and recognize, like, for example, when I've had, I've worked with lots and lots of uh, Pilates instructors. I've been in Pilates conferences years ago. And, you know, when I would show that, you know, I can do a movement with my leg that doesn't involve my abdominals, they were going, how could that happen? And I was saying, because you're using a model that's a lever lever model. It's a mechanical model. You tighten one thing to loosen something else. That's mechanistic, but you actually, that's a, that's a model that's put over a living system. We're actually a living organism. We're more like a, an inner caterpillar that has expression and moves through space and has grown arms and, and legs. You know, we're, the spine is a living tissue and all life is emerging out of that. And it's always returning. So in osteopathy, you know, they look at these relationships of as any living system, it's a process. It's an unfolding and an infolding. It's a coming out and a returning in. It's not a columnized body. And when we look at the spine columnized, we tend to move it with the legs. If we understand it's a living expression, upper psoas, which is under that diaphragm and under, right under your heart, you are actually moved by your heart and the impulse to move through space, to reach, to long, to gather, comes out of the very core of your being. So there's a lot of overstabilization that's really not 
totally needed in regard to um to you're being denied in the full experience yes there's there's like you're kind of you're kind of finding ways to feel safe in some ways like and part of part of it is is this that relationship you brought up between muscle and bones bones I mean, it's all tissue. So when you go into connective tissue, you're looking at different relationships of tissue. They're not separate things. And, and so then you're looking at bones float in connective tissue. But what if my muscles are so dense that they can't float? Then I'm using a lot more muscle strength to move myself around. I'm, I'm exhausting my own adrenals, my own kidney energy. So what is it if I start to find the opening of connective tissue? And that's why I said, I'm sure that someone like Joseph Pilates with the science that's now available would have expanded on his work. And I don't know what that would look like, but I think he would have continued to expand and understand now that when we're, when we're looking at the lever lever mechanistic, we're looking at a paradigm that's overriding a living system. That's that top down model. And I think, I think Pilates has continued to evolve. And I see people teaching who are more uh, kinesthetically sensitive. Certainly in Europe, Pilates is taught differently than in America, where we are more in like a certain level of control. They are more kinesthetically oriented. And there isn't a lot of um, kind of conflict between what I'm talking about and what they're doing. You know, so, and, and certainly there are, you know, specific teachers who work that way too in America, but that, that locking, the locking of the pelvis or the navel to spine that still is taught in many places is really does damage to those bones floating and this juiciness of the psoas. You're recruiting psoas rather than allowing it to be neutral. Is there ever such a thing as a psoas that never gets worked? So it's not dry because it's never been overworked. It's sort of just blah, doesn't even do anything. Do those kinds of people exist? Well, I, I think you're, using, you're thinking of doing something. Psoas isn't a doing tissue, it's a being tissue. And that doesn't fit in our um, model. The biomechanics is that all tissue from the center of your body forward flexes, all tissue from your center back extends. However, um, so there's no soul, there's no center. You, you, you are mechanistic. Everything's in opposition to something else. But if you look at an embryological model, you totally have a center. Not only do you have a, an axis, the north and south pole, you have this field of biointelligence that is literally your connection to the universe. Um, you are, you know, like the thumbprint, the hair follicles, they're unique. You're uniquely you. And that core is that what's called the neuro core is so as a part of so it's not part of doing something it's part of being you belong here you it's part of your beingness now i have met so as is that i thought were i met in fact it stimulated my to write a uh, stalking wild so as embodying your core intelligence because i met a man who um when i was working with him it felt like his so as was dead and uh, I even opened my eyes and looked at it, make sure he hadn't died on the floor when we're, because I work on the floor. Um, and, and I asked him, what scared you to death? And he told me he had died at birth. Mm. 
the stories of SOAS are so intimate and so connected to our soul journey here. So in Taoist healing, it's called the muscle of the soul. Oh, that's beautiful. Can you think of one type of movement practice, maybe Tai Chi, that embraces the idea of how the psoas expresses itself opposed to the lever lever yoga or or pilates model is it something like tai chi um it can be it, it can be qigong it can be a lot of the eastern um energy forms work with the core not as something you control but something you feel the energy and the movement of that energy in terms of um my work uh, one of the influences for when I was when I was developing my work and I was writing core awareness, I understood the biodynamic aspect of being human. I, I come from a long lineage of uh, my mother's side of farmers, so I'm close oh, to the yeah. earth, and I and I connect to you know the earth processes. <laughs> yeah, so there's a sense of life and 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 that I'm part of that kinship. I'm not separate from it. I don't walk as an object across the landscape. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally part of the earth. I'm an elemental being. But the work that was most influential to me when I was looking for movement that would, just what you're saying, you know, what was continual movement, Emily Conrad's work with the fluid system. Because when we enter the fluid of our own living tissue, and when we take away the spaces and the uh, you know, we are even as we're older, still 90% fluid. We are, we are touched by water. All life is touched by water. So the fluid movements of uh, accessing little rocks, little undulations, thinking of your, your spine as a fish. So for example, in the bathtub, you know, you could just from tongue to tail, see if you can find your fishy movements that are kind of lateral movements, more what you see in, in uh, cultures that live close to the sea, you know, or in the shower, wrapping your arms around your shoulders and, and leaning over and see if you can get your spine to move in undulations and little micro movements um, to regain its juiciness. Well, you've really opened my mind and um I'm sure a lot of other Pilates instructors and yoga instructors who haven't been influenced by you yet, uh, just hearing how you express what the psoas really is in relation to the earth and who we are from embryo on, obviously it changes the paradigm, it has to change the paradigm. Can we still teach what we teach with that in mind and not now discard this mechanistic approach that is seems like it's pretty limited and finite. It is limited and finite. And and an embryologist, Jaap van der Bo, who's Dutch, said, you know, um, uh, that, and he taught anatomy. He's a medical doctor, a professor, and uh, he came out of retirement and he's an embryologist. He's a scientist. And he taught... Um, anatomy for 10 years to Olympic athletes. And he said, it's a false dogma. <laughs> so he put it straight on the table, 
But what I can say to people who've trained and learned is the articulation is important. The ability to, to move your ball and socket joint, to feel your toes move, to see where movement comes from. So it's not so much you have to give up what you know, you have to add and expand to what you know. So you can move between different paradigms. You don't have to necessarily- Throw out the old. Well, you know, I mean, if, if I have a broken bone, I'm glad somebody knows how to set it. You know, I'm, I'm not opposed to allopathic medicine, but it has its limitations. And we have to recognize it's not the primary way of understanding. There could be other primary ways of understanding it. it and so when we, when we start to, to open, because that's what you're doing, you're opening up the connective tissue. Then for example, when you're seeing your client walk in and they're kind of curled over and their psoas is short, it's not about pulling on the psoas or stretching or doing something to it. It's about actually recognizing that maybe they need to hang over a fitness ball. They need to even follow that cue of primary movement and, and complete it before they can begin uh, their session. So what a lot of my Pilates instructors have done is they've started preparing people to do Pilates. They've started seeing, oh, they're not actually ready yet. They're in reaction. They're overwhelmed. They're, let's do some other kind of simple things you know, like, like fitness balls are great because you can hang on one. And that movement is that little lateral fish movement, right? Just hanging on a fitness ball and kind of rocking a little bit. And all of a sudden the person's more capable of paying attention, sensing, you know, they can, you know, they're not in reaction. So you're actually improving your teaching skills by understanding these primal responses. Because you don't have to tell the person, hey, I think you're in a primal response, but you see the system going into something or they're really guarded and warding off. You know, there's ways of working that actually enhance when you're toning and you're, you're centering and, 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 you know, Pilates, if it can, what I tell my teachers is that it, if, you know, getting some tone in the abdominals takes a person out of pain, fabulous. You want them out of pain, but go to the bones, get them to feel into their bones, get them into their uh, feet, find the ankle glide because the ankle glide is huge to the diet that, that pendulum motion of the psoas. You don't have to go for the psoas. You do the things that support a healthy psoas. Oh, I love that. Pilates can do that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I know we have not a lot of time because you have, you're very sought after and you have another appointment. Did you want to just share with us quickly uh, your new book? Has it birth savvy? Has it been released yet? Or no, it's 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 uh, gestating, and uh, but it'll be out later in the year. My my most recent book is called Stalking Wild Soas, uh, embodying your core intelligence. That's the philosophical piece. Um, if you want really fundamental concepts, core awareness enhancing yoga, Pilates, exercise, and dance is the book to get. Because along with the SOAS book, it's going to tell you next what would help make for a healthy SOAS. And one of them is a centered pelvis. You know, one of them is getting in your bones. So, you know, those are chapters with lots of ideas that can be incorporated, or you may already have ideas about how to do that. Does somebody buy your book on your website? You can buy books on my website. They're all over. You can go to any of the bookstores or, uh, Amazon and purchase any of my books. 
And then if somebody wants to join you for your core awareness workshops and classes, that's all on your website, your schedule, right? Absolutely. And, and because of COVID, I've been teaching um, two-hour Zoom classes for the past year, and many of them are already recorded. So people like, for example, self-care is for your psoas is a fundamental Zoom class that you can just purchase and watch on your own and, you know, join me and, and work with that. Or if you want to learn more about the neurocore, um, there's one called uh, coherency because the psoas is a lot about your coherent, all your nervous systems working in tandem. Uh, and I taught that with uh, Sue Hitzman who developed MELT methods. So we talk about connective tissue. So that can be an introduction to, to the two. Oh, so, that's fantastic. And, that's fantastic. Yeah, and your, like your, website, and, your website is coreawareness.com? It is. All right, everybody. Get to her website. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Liz. And I hope that you'll come back because, of course, I have many more questions for you. I would you. love to come back. All right. Thank you. Thank you again. Thanks for letting okay. me. Okay. Okay. As you may recall, I've added a new feature to this podcast called Share the Work. Each episode features one of my very devoted students, and I hope his or her words will inspire you. Pilates instructor and former professional ballet dancer Joan Blum shares her thoughts. I train every day as much as I can with all of my heart and soul, and I get to pass my knowledge along to my students. To heal and to strengthen my body and help others do the same, what could be better? All Things Pilates is created, produced, and hosted by me, Darian Gold. Coming up next, we welcome Linda Burquez, Qigong Master Teacher and Certified Pilates Instructor. And until then, pay attention to how you move through space. Breathe consciously, keep your feet planted on the earth, so you can take care of your wild psoas. Thanks again, and be back in a couple of weeks for more on all things Pilates.